Hello and welcome back to the Delaware Football Roundup. Another year, another season of Delaware football, and we're happy you've decided to start it with us. I'm Brandon Halvak, joined today by Jake Lampert and Nick Canella on the phone to discuss our breakout players for the 2018 Delaware football season. This, the first of a series of previewing podcasts uh, as we lead into Thursday, August 30th's opener against Rhode Island at Delaware Stadium, 7 o'clock p.m. First, some catching up to do. Nick Canella joins us over the phone and Jake Lampert in studio. Nick, first off, how's it going? Second off, tell everybody, you know, what you've been up to this summer as we get set back here. It's going good. And this summer, I've just been fishing mostly and then just hanging out, chilling with the fam. <laughs> Exciting for the preseason, studying up on some uh, fantasy. First of all, you've been fishing. You've been fishing... It's just a, a pastime of yours, just a fun, this is what Nick Canella does in his free time, just so everybody knows? No, not not actually. My uh, dad just recently retired, so he's gone into it. So he basically ropes me along, and then I just I just try. Catch I just anything good? Fish. Uh, I caught a gator one time. All right. Well, I guess that's good. I'm not a fisher, so I assume that's good. Yeah, no, I'm not sure either. All right, and Jake, you just got back to campus yep, hours in, ago. Yep, about 24 hours ago, prepping for RA training. Get to get excited to get back into it, but more excited to talk about Delaware athletics, especially football, because this season, while last season may have not been a, uh, a success in everyone's book, it was surely not a disappointment. So it's going to be exciting to see how we can either rebound and get back into the competitive nature like they were last year. Jake, how was your summer? How'd you spend it uh, uh, in New York? I, s- I spent it. About as thrilling as you can imagine, I was a head coach of a 8, 9, and 10-year-old girl softball team, which was about <laughs> as exciting as it sounds right then and there. We ended up losing every regular season game, but come postseason, we were undefeated, and we took home the bronze division trophy, which is the, we did well enough to get a trophy, but we didn't do well enough to place gold. You know, a lot of the time we talk about, especially in college sports, you know, the regular season being important, but... Real people, real coaches, real players, they show up in the playoffs in crunch time. And that sounds like your philosophy with that 8, 9, doesn't matter eight, how nine, you and 10-year-old team. 8, 9, and 10. Doesn't matter how you start. All that matters is how you finish. And there we go. We finished strong. We got two wins. Played a four-and-a-half-hour, five-inning thriller uh, for our last championship game. We brought home the win. I have the trophy to prove it. Is the trophy going to rest at the Lambert household? It is. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, it says girls softball champions, 8, 9, and 10-year-old division. And I took one home because I thought I deserved it. Very nice. Well, we will get into our breakout candidates in just a few moments. But first, a little housekeeping off the top. Again, this Delaware Football Roundup podcast. This is our weekly football podcast in the regular season. But we'll be bringing you uh, some previewing podcasts throughout the month of August as we lead up to the opener on the 30th. So during the regular season, just like last year, expect weekly podcast hours after the game where... Uh, myself and another member of the WVD Sports Department or even people outside of our department will get in the studio and give you an in-depth analysis right after the game with coach and player reactions as well as our highlight calls from that game on WVUD. Uh, and then also throughout the year, we will have our Blue Hen Sports Cage radio show returning. We were on a hiatus this summer, uh, but we'll be back later on this month Uh, But the best way to stay up to date with the updates on both the podcast series and the radio show is to follow us on Twitter at WVUD Sports and on Facebook, like our page 
at WVUD Sports. That's a change we made this summer to align our two social media accounts. Previously, it was the Cage WVUD. So if you've liked that page, it's now transitioned into being WVUD Sports, where again, you'll find all of our updates on the radio show, our podcast, videos, everything we post, uh, in addition to updates on our game broadcasts, which again begin Thursday, August 30th. And all throughout the fall, we will have every home and away Delaware football game on 91.3 WVUD, in addition to a helping of field hockey and men's soccer games throughout the fall, men's and women's basketball games throughout the winter, as well as ice hockey, club ice hockey throughout the fall and winter, and in the spring, baseball. Uh, but all that information online at WVD Sports on Facebook and Twitter, and also WVUD.org for the full sports schedule and sites.udel.edu slash the cage WVUD, where you can find this podcast as well as all of our other offerings. So I've asked Nick and Jake to come up with a list of three breakout players for this upcoming season. So players who may have been in smaller roles in previous years, may be new to the, to the team and to the program, uh, but that right now might be under the radar, but we expect to be at least regular contributors or some sort of contributor to the team as the season unfolds. Uh, and then you know we'll kind of go through each one and spark kind of discussions on some of the most important players on Delaware's football team as we get you reset for the 2018 season. So, Nick, I'll have you go first. Give us just one of your three breakout candidates for this season. One of my three breakout candidates, actually, um, running back Kanai Kane. Um, I think he'll be the feature back in this Blue Hens offense and just have a prominent role and just really get going um, behind that offensive line and just really make a name for himself in the backfield there. So, Nick, last year, Kane, obviously, about halfway through the year, kind of became the feature back. What, and what you saw from him last year when he kind of took the job uh, midway through the year from Kareem Williams and Thomas Jefferson, you know, what did you like about his, his playing style, his running style, and where are some places that he could maybe improve, in your opinion? Like, for his size and just his ability to just basically knock down anyone in his path and just be that sort of bowling ball just at – like I think he's 240. I mean, and still have maintained that explosive speed that he has. I mean, I think the only thing that he can work on is just basically finding the holes more, um, try to find more openings, um, just be more explosive to the line instead of just really going to get tackled, like really look for just openings and to break out in those ways. But um, yeah, last year he came out of the backfield um, took that starting job and just had 594 total yards, seven touchdowns. Um, and I think he'll only get better and better, especially in this 2018 season. And it's a team who offensively centered needs that backfield. We've seen it before. We've seen it the last few years. They've ranked last in passing offense, but their running offense was at least respectable in the CAA. It was at least some sort of force to get that ball moving, get that ball moving downfield especially. 
But it's nice to know now that, as we're probably going to talk about later in the show, a quarterback position, that now that we have some faint ability to throw the football, that running game could just get better. Now that teams can't just pack the box with seven, can't just pack the box with even eight, you can put more people in the backfield and give them more success and more lanes to run through. Were either of you guys surprised to see Kanai Kane on the CAA preseason team? No. I think that I think Nick mentioned it too. His ability to just run through people, both literally and figuratively, makes him an attractive target in the running back position. And he did well working with nothing, to be fair. He came in, especially the game where Caruso stepped in as the quarterback uh, against Stony Brook. He took that game over. He ran well that game, and he worked with what he was given. I don't think it's surprising, and I think he can put on exactly what most people think he can do in this running back position. Just compared to last year with just the inconsistency of quarterback going back from Walker to Caruso and then just having that whole controversy just made it harder, especially for Keane and the rest of the running backs, especially when teams are putting so many people in the box. But I think this year um, with more of this competition and more of these quarterbacks coming to light and just what they're showing during this camp, I think, Kane will just have more success once we have solidified a starting quarterback. I'll just say, we'll move on to our next player in a, in a couple seconds here, but I'll just say I was a little bit surprised to see him on the preseason All-CAA team. I, I thought, you know, everything what you, you guys have said is true. I thought he had a good, you know, two-thirds of a season last year. But there's a lot of talent at running back in the CAA. Malcolm Summers is a guy from Elon that was running all over the place until he got hurt midway through the season. He'll be back this year. The other running back that is on the All-CAA team is Marcus Marshall of James Madison, but he, like Kane, is in a crowded backfield. There could be other guys that emerge there. Uh, I, I was just surprised to see out of all of the CAA that he, in the mind of the voters who vote on the preseason poll as well as the preseason team, saw him as one of the best two running backs. Uh, but you know, I think it does speak to what you guys are saying in that you know maybe it's not just his ability and itself but it's that teams or people are seeing Delaware as a team being an emergent team and a team that has already had success on the ground with a variety of different running backs in the last three or four years and you know if the passing game's a bit more sustained or sustained a little bit at a higher level a little bit more consistent perhaps that does open up things on the ground let's go to Jake for your four first uh breakout candidate. I'm gonna stay on the offensive side here and go with Gene Coleman a player that Hasn't seen much on the offensive end with only one career catch for 20 yards, but he was the Hens' top returner. He had 16 returns for a total of 341 yards and had five returns for 100-plus, leading his uh, resume as a returner. But I think he's going to show up a little more on the offensive end at wide receiver. The wide receiver position, while it is deep in names for the Blue Hens, is not very deep in talent. You're going to have Jamie Jarman back. We're going to talk about Joe Walker down the stretch. But after that, there's really no solid two. I mean, you had Vinny Papali here and there who played pretty well. I think there's a position for Gene Coleman to step up, and Gene Coleman especially to step up and play as the maybe wide receiver two of this team. I think both his speed and his vision, which we've seen him run, seen him return, that can be useful and that can be helpful for him. And I think he's going to have a much better season, obviously, than one reception for 20 yards. I think he can be a four or five reception a game guy for this Blue Hen team. And that's, I think, all that they need to go alongside Jamie Jarman. I agree with Jake. I think that whole second wide receiver spot is just 
up for grabs. And I think Coleman can be a perfect fit with his speed, his size. I think it could work. It just maybe more experience is what he needs. So maybe in the camps and once he gets into the rotation more and gets out there on the field, we'll see his talent actually grow and he'll maybe take that number two spot behind Jarman. I would say, you know, to to me, one and two on the outside right now is Jamie Jarman and Joe Walker. Um, and I think they'll end up being the most productive two players. But I do see a competition emerging between Vinny Papali and Gene Coleman for that Z wide receiver spot, the slot guy, um, which is where Gene Coleman played when he did get on the field last year because of the injury to Vinny Papali. But with that being said, I do think there's room on this team for three receivers to contribute. So if he can emerge past Vinny Papali and be on the field as that slot guy, in addition to Joe Walker and Jamie Jarman, who will more than likely be more deep threats than they are sticks-to-sticks possession receivers, I think there is a role for G. Coleman to play on this team. I think he just has to prove it in training camp right now that he's past where Vinny Papali is right now, that he's you know well past a guy like Chichi Amachi. Right now, this is an opportunity for a lot of those younger receivers to break themselves from the pack, and perhaps Gene Coleman, maybe it's Papali, maybe Gene Coleman that's best position to do so. And we might see, especially with Walker, we've seen it last year, we're definitely going to see it again, where he lines up behind center, where he kind of takes that floater running back position in the Wildcat you're going to need a wide receiver, too, in that position to go alongside Walker. That might be the best opportunity for Coleman to prove himself. If they end up giving it to Walker to pass, or if Caruso, if he's playing the quarterback position, ends up keeping it, that's a good spot for somebody like Coleman to get open downfield and make a name for himself and make the plays to promote himself into the position because this offense can go any sort of different direction. We've already talked about the depth of running back. We've already talked about the weapons that they have at the wide receiver position. Like Nick mentioned, Coleman's size, Coleman's speed at 5'11", 195 is a quick combination and a small quick combination for a wide receiver. I think especially in those sets, he can make a name for himself, and that's probably his biggest opportunity and best opportunity to get into that wide receiver two, like Brandon said, that Z pick for the wide receivers on the team. I'll stick with the position groups on the offensive side of the ball with my first guy, uh, which is running back Dejon Lee, a redshirt sophomore who, right before training camp last season in 2017, transferred from Army to Delaware. So he had to sit out last season. But in conversations I had with people close to the team throughout the season last year, he was a guy who was very high on their radar, very much standing out from a group of running backs, which, as we mentioned, is a deep group and was last year too. So for a guy who was not on the field, who was not getting first or second team reps, for him to stand out in the mind of those at practice day in, day out, I think I think it goes past you know the notion of them just boosting up their own guys when they could boost Thomas Jefferson or Kareem Williams or Kanai Kane, but they're talking about how Dejon Lee's so explosive and how they're bummed that he can't get on the field because he just transferred from Army. This year he is eligible and You know, when I say breakout, I don't know if he's going to be, I don't think he'll be a guy who ever takes 15 carries in a game. I don't think he'll be the leading rusher on this team, but I think he'll go from being a complete non-contributor to a guy that other teams will have to game plan for him. He's a receiving back, a small shifty guy out of the backfield. I think he'll play on third downs. He'll have to be accounted for, and he's been productive everywhere he's gone. 1,353 all-purpose yards his senior year in high school. He's an athletic guy who's a very accomplished sprinter and long jumper at Lake Braddock High School in Springfield, Virginia. 
his highlights there in, in the football season, the fall of his senior year, are very, very impressive. I think, you know, this is the role that we thought maybe at this time last year Riley Angeline was going to play. Dejan Lee, I think, is much more athletic, and I think he has an opportunity to to pass a few guys like Corey Sproul, like Andre Robertson, the transfer from Penn State, like Thomas Jefferson, who surprisingly came back to the team, and be the second or third running back and play on third downs and make a contribution catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, you have the best of both worlds. We've talked about Kenai Kane, six foot two forty. That's a wrecking ball behind there. But then you can pair him with somebody like Lee with five seven, one eighty five, has great speed, great running ability. That's a good backfield pair to have. You can even run two running back sets with both of them on the field and option it. It's a weapon that every team needs, and if it's not good, you can live without. But if you can have two backs, one's your knockdown and one's your passer, and both are fluid through the offense, that's a good key to have for any quarterback to get to that next level, knowing they have people behind them and knowing they have people wide with them. And to that point, that's not to say that a guy like Kanai King can't play on third down because right. you don't necessarily want to just play Dejan Lee in passing situations. You don't want to show your hand by who the running back is in the backfield. You want all of these guys to be able to play on passing downs and on running downs. And that's something that Kanai Kane improved upon throughout last season. And part of the reason why he got on the field more is because from week one to week four or five, he improved greatly in pass protection and they felt much more comfortable with him out there compared to Thomas Jefferson compared to freshman Corey Sproul until Sproul developed at the end of the season. If Kane and Lee, those guys can be versatile, especially Lee, they can play on first, second, and third down, and they can rotate those guys, keep them fresh, and also not give the defense a look just based on who the running back is in the game, which way our play call is going to go. Do you want to move on to this one? Yeah, we can move on to one more. Uh, Nick, you have one more laying around. you want to go for your second one? Yeah, for my second one, I chose... On the defensive side of the ball, I chose Malcolm Brown, um, defensive back, who played in all 11 games last year, had 24 solo tackles, an interception, and four pass breakups. But throughout the season, we did see him get beat deep a couple of times. And I think this year, from the camp and the articles I've just been reading, he's just made strong improvements and has will look to be a key contributor in the Blue Hen secondary. And I think he will um, help shut down the rest of the other uh, team's receivers. And I think he will just be a budding breakout star for this Blue Hens defense. It's an interesting situation that the Blue Hens are in because they have so many players, uh, especially last year, that revolving door of injury. I feel like every game there was either a new injury, a player that was sitting out, you have a lot of players with experience, with game time experience that you can run through that backfield, which is important. But I think with the uh, Nick, you mentioned it perfectly, getting beat on deep threats with another season to kind of fix his wrongs with all of these talented defensive back safety, free safety positions. I agree with you. I think this is a really big season for him, and I think he can do it with that supporting help the Blue Hen defense has. Nick, my question to you is that, you know, this is a guy who's played as a starter at least through each of the past two seasons. He's played in years before that. He's been a solid contributor for this team. My question to you, since you view him as a breakout player, is where do you see his ceiling? You know, he he's right now as a consistent starter on one of the better defenses in the CAA. You know, do you think he can go to like the all CAA level or even beyond that? Where do you see his ceiling entering this season? 
I definitely could see him being on an all CAA team, especially for, like Jake said, um, just this deep, talented secondary. Just you saw players just revolving in and around. I think Malcolm Brown can definitely be the standout. He's done a good job of being able to jump the ball, just being able to force fumbles as well. So he's a pretty good tackler. Um, so I think he can definitely be able to stand out in that aspect of being able to stuff the run while being able to allow pass coverage. Again, the only thing he has to work on is just not being able to be, get people to second breakout i'll stay on the defensive end because nick moved defense i'm gonna go colby reader and i know we're picking breakout players so picking somebody who almost already had a breakout season is a little bold but i think he's gonna have a breakout breakout season i think he's gonna be even better than he was last year last year he was an all east defensive rookie of the year he was a caa defensive rookie of the year he was fourth on the team with solo tackles and Pretty much every big play we saw in these games, especially during the Richmond home game, it was him. It was him leading the charge, and it was him leading the defense. This defense was good. We talked about it. We talked about it already. The defense, I think, was the shining moment of the Delaware team last year. I think it just gets better. I think with readers, both of them on the field together for all those games, I think this is Colby's time to be that top defensive player that we know that he can be and really bring that Delaware defense to the next level, and to that top spot in the CAA. The play that really stands out to me from Colby Reader's year last year was against James Madison in week four. And I think it was Trey Sharp. I'm not exactly sure who the running back was, but whoever it was, JMU has the ball at their own 20 or 30-yard line. The running back breaks free up the middle. He makes a move past the safety, either Jones or Adderley, and he is basically, he's gone down the sideline. He's gone. And Colby Reader comes from playing up near the line of scrimmage and chases the running back down and makes a play inside the 10-yard line 50, 60, 70 yards down the field the other way. To me, you know, they ended up scoring a touchdown. It didn't make a huge difference in the game, but that play showed off a huge amount of athletic ability that this guy has. He played safety in high school. He's already moved linebacker positions since coming to Delaware, coming from more traditional linebacker role to the cat role last year because of the suspension to Jay Sean Thompson in training camp. He handled that role excellently. Became a very strong pass rusher working as, you know, that pseudo defensive end edge rush linebacker in their three, four system. But he also showed a lot of versatility last year about that week four game against James Madison, he started staying in the game when Delaware went to their nickel package. Previously, they had kept Jackson, the two middle linebackers out there. Instead, they kept Reeder with the two middle linebackers. And that really gave them a new look because not only could he be the guy standing at the edge of the line of scrimmage and rushing the passer like he did on first and second down, he could also drop back in the coverage. He has the safety background. He can play in space. He can make tackles one-on-one in space which is not something that every linebacker can do, especially at this level. Um, so I, 
I personally think I'm waiting with DJ. Keep the sky's the limit for this guy. I don't know if he plays his whole career as that cat linebacker. I think maybe he moves back inside once Reader and Bell leave the team, or maybe even to the other side of the bandit role, which we'll talk about in a, a cup. Excuse me, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes with Ray Jones. Um, but one way or the other, this guy's athletic. He'll make plays wherever you put him on the defense, and he's perhaps their most versatile piece of that yeah, team. Even during when they played Maine, uh, he uh, notched seven tackles, three of them being solo, fumble recovery for a touchdown, a sack for a seven-yard loss. He has all the tools, and I think it's easy for Rocco now to say, like you mentioned, whether we're going to put him with linebackers, he's a plug-and-play. He's going to play. He has enough impact to keep him on the field regardless of what package, regardless of what personnel the other team's bringing out. Yeah. He's going to play. He has the door wide open for him, and I think this pl- this guy is just too good to miss that opportunity. He's even made tons of plays on special teams. Uh, oh, yeah. He made a you know blocked kick, extra, blocked an extra point against Stony Brook, and ended up being the difference in that game. They win that game by four points. Stony Brook drives into Delaware territory, could have kicked a field goal to tie the they game, and in a touchdown, yep. Delaware is able to make that spot stop. They get their biggest win of the season right. because of a play like that. He did that multiple times. He told me in high school, blocking kicks on special teams. He was mm-hmm. a part of their kick coverage on special teams. This guy's all over the place. Yeah, Nick, we're having a love fest over here. Your thoughts on Colby Reader this season? I think one can make the argument that Colby, even at his just young sophomore, can even be potentially better than his brother Troy at his position. I mean, this guy is just a ball hawk, just being able to what it seems like to always be surrounded at a playmaking moment, like fumble recoveries, going scoring for them touchdowns while also being able to um, provide some pass coverage as well. I think him, he's just going to be a tackle machine for the blue hands and just really hold it down for this defense. And I mean, Nothing to take away from his brother. He took the reins of the defense when Bell went down. He yeah. started every single game and was the leader of that linebacker core. But that's almost a bigger praise to Colby saying that Troy started 11 games in the linebacker position when the starter went down. And we are saying that Colby could be better. So that's this is a defense that is going to be good, I think, regardless of who's alongside the Reader brothers. And I, Nick, I'm going to go on the hot take. Are you going and with I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to take Nick's uh, on this one. And I think Kobe might be the better defensive player than his brother this year. This year? Not, 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 I thought Nick was saying in his career, saying this year Kobe Reader might I be th- more impactful I think this than gonna be. Yeah, I think this year Kobe's going to be that more impactful player. I think he's a little bit quicker. I think, like you mentioned, I think he's a bit better, obviously, in the safety position, being uh, a little more, more free in the Having defense. Having played the safety yeah, position. Being a little more free in the defensive sets. I think he's going to be a bigger impact and a bigger help. August 12th, book it. Nick Canella and Jake Lampert. Talking of Colby Reader in the preseason, we'll see how he does. I mean, Troy, you know, I, I'm going to stick with Troy here for a second before we move on. I mean, this guy is is a preseason All-American, one of the top tacklers, if not the top tackler on the team. Just to point out that how high a praise this is. I mean, Troy Reader is the best player returning to this defense, according to most people's consensus, without with Bilal yeah, Nichols having had graduated. 11, 11 tackles in the Stony Brook game. He had mm-hmm. 11 tackles. And, and that wasn't seven. as a league game with double-digit tackles. Right. I think seven of them might have been solo tackles. <laughs> uh, that last, the very last play of the game, uh, I yeah, credit it to Reader. Uh, I don't know if he got the official tackle Nassib credit. was in there, But, I think, yeah, too. I think he started that all off. So he's made the big plays. His brother's going to make the big plays. This will be a fun season. I want to go back to Nick. I know I'm kind of due up in the order, but Nick, I know, has another linebacker 
on his list as we're on the topic here. Yes, who I chose as Brandon mentioned him before, Ray Jones. Um, definitely a linebacker. I think we need to talk about more in the fact that he gets outshined by the Reader brothers so much, but they do a great job again defensively for this team. But then you have Ray Jones, who's able to just be so explosive and an overall dynamic player who helps in pass coverage, um, being able to um, look for the wide receiver in the slot coming out on third downs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's just a great player who led the team third in tackles last year, who can be a potential breakout star again for this uh, blue hens defense. And I think he'll just do a great job just being able to stick to what he does best, which is just being able to go out there play physical while also just maintaining the speed and the dynamic to stay with the slot receivers and running backs coming out of the backfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go, go off that. And I think you made a good point there that this is a player that you put him in and he does what he needs to do. He's not a player that needs extensive coaching, extensive uh, direction. I think you put him in and he gets it done. He's played in all 11 games for the Blue Hens. He was third on the team in total tackles. He racked up 60, 34 of them being solo. So this guy is a defensive importance. I think he might actually get better with the, the readers getting better. I think he gets better. I think when you get a little more help on the defensive end, especially in the linebacker position, you can make more happen. So, Nick, I agree with you here, too, that I think as a whole, I think that Ray Jones is going to be a much better player. I love this pick, too. I was thinking about putting Ray Jones on my list. Last year, played safety, strong safety, good season. You know, wasn't necessarily a guy that you pointed to as a superstar of the defense, but one of many consistent, solid contributors. But I think he's going to make a much bigger impact in this new role at linebacker. I wasn't thinking at the end of last season that they would move him to outside linebacker when we talked about guys to replace Anthony Jackson as the bandit, which Rocco has said many times before is the most important and the most difficult position in his defense to play. I wasn't thinking Ray Jones was going to move up and fill that spot. It just you know was kind of an out-of-the-box thing to think about. But once they announced that he would be doing that, immediately loved it. I remember last year for a story I wrote about Bilal Nichols, actually, I was talking to Hodgins head coach who, um, you know, where that's where Ray Jones and Bilal Nichols went to high school. And at Hodgins, kind of like Colby Reader, he played a different position. He played linebacker at Hodgins and his coach Frank Moffitt said he loved seeing Ray Jones up near the line of scrimmage and he wanted to see him up there more. This role does exactly just that. There was a play that we talked about last season, week one against Delaware State, where DSU was somewhere inside the 10-yard line, you know, marching up to the goal line. It was still a close game at that point, and Jones kind of just kept, kept just creeping from the secondary and kind of just sensed where the ball was going to go, sensed the running lane. He stood right behind the defensive line when the play came and plugged the running uh, lane. It was a third down, stopped DSU in their tracks, held him to a field goal. That was the only points of the game for the Hornets. And I think he'll be able to make more plays like that, in addition to being out there to cover that slot guy when they don't want to roll the safety down. A lot of times that was Anthony Jackson on a wide receiver. Now you have a much more athletic guy in Ray Jones who has more experience in one-on-one man coverage and also in zone coverage outside having played safety and been a starter at safety since his redshirt freshman year. Uh, So I love this move, moving him from safety to bandit linebacker. Again, he'll be playing in space a lot more. It's not a traditional linebacker role. Um, but he'll be in an area where he'll make more tackles, and I think overall he'll make a bigger impact on this defense. 
we're going to round out my list with kind of a cliche one, but I think when Brandon and I were talking about it before, it's almost a have to, and that is going to be Joe Walker. I think he's finally found his spot on this offense. I think he's going to be a wide receiver, the wide receiver two on the team. And for some plays run the wildcat, he can even direct snap and run it himself in the running back position. He's a big bodied, big, physical, fast, athletic guy. He knows the field. He's smart with the ball. Maybe not throwing the ball, but he's smart with protecting and running the football. I think this is the sky's the limit with him. And Rocco said it before. Rocco likes him everywhere. Uh, last year when he played the game against Richmond, the home game where he lined up uh, quarterback, running back, and then wide receiver in three consecutive plays in the second, uh, the about the midway through the first that's what Rocco said we're going to see. We're going to see him in all three of those positions, running around, rotating around. And now that this team, I think, is settled in, I don't think there's going to be much more moving on the offensive end rather than maybe a battle here or two there in the running back uh, wide receiver position. I think Joe Walker's going to excel. I think he has all the tools. He has all the skill set. And I think Caruso's getting more comfortable hitting him in the running back and wide receiver positions. I definitely consider Joe Walker being my pick, especially with the number two spot at wide receiver up for grabs and his just lack of experience. Yes, it makes up for talent, um, which he can break out, especially with his speed and just it gives the defense something else to look out for, especially in terms of trick plays, end arounds, things like that. And I think it is a cool opportunity for not only Joe Walker, but for the Blue Hens to be able to utilize him when he plays multiple positions. I mean, if you look at the main game, his stat line's a little ridiculous. Nine carries, 55 yards, two receptions for 68 yards, and a 42-yard pass. That's all you can ever want and more from a, your versatile offensive player. He had two, 428 all-purpose yards. You don't see that a lot with one player racking up 428 all-purpose yards on the ground, in the air, both throwing and catching. This is a player that can do it all, and I think it's time that we see, and Rocco's go definitely going to let him do it all in the offensive end. And I, I do think this is funny, and this is a way we view a lot of players, but at quarterback, right, we we heavily criticized him. He was not good. I think we can all agree that. He started right. the, for two-plus seasons, and Delaware has been the worst passing offense in the CAA by every his measure second for year, the last Delaware three was years. Dead yeah, that, they yeah, were dead last. They didn't average over 100 yards his second year as a starter. So we all agree, like, not a great quarterback. But as soon as he moves to wide receiver, now it's like, man, he can really throw the ball. He's got a strong arm. I, and, yeah. and you're like, maybe they should have him throw a little bit more. And then you're like, wait a second. Why would you? This guy just played quarterback for two years. Maybe he should <laughs> yeah. just go play wide receiver. I think we already tried him <laughs> back under center. Um, that, that just stands out because I think the same thing, too. I'm like, wow, there's so many different ways they could line him up. Maybe he could throw the ball a little bit. And I'm like, wait a second. They just tried him for two-plus years throwing the ball. The best thing like, about Joe Walker— Maybe he should just catch it and run he'll give, he'll give you—we talked about it on the show. He'll give you 10 mediocre passes and then dazzle you with three good passes. And that's a terrible ratio to run an offense, and we've seen that. But if you don't give him 13 total passes to attempt it and you only give him one, he has room to dazzle. Yeah, I guess so. If we start giving him more and more, it. if we still like, if we start letting him throw six or seven or eight times a game, we might see the Joe Walker of the past. But one pass attempt, two pass attempts a game—that's a deadly weapon to keep on the offense. And I also wonder how many attempts it has to be, how many like trick plays it has to be to where 
it's detrimental to the quarterback to throw them out yeah, of rhythm. Like, like, like doesn't have that like I don't know how like if that really matters or not. If you say like once a drive, the quarterback is lining up outside, or you know multiple times on a drive, like how many times does it take to get a quarterback out of rhythm, and does that matter for these quarterbacks? But I'd throw that out as another thing to consider. All right, somehow I got left with two more, so I'll run through this next one real quick. It's not a flashy pick, but left tackle David Kroll, a redshirt freshman, is my second guy. Somebody's got to play in the spots vacated by graduating left tackle Jake Trump and graduating center Brody Kern, and I think David Kroll is the most logical candidate to fill that left tackle spot. He's a big guy, six foot six, 315 pounds, He's kind of been hand-selected for this role by Rocco. He committed to the University of Richmond, and then once it was announced that Rocco was going to come to Delaware, he decommitted from there, came over here to the Blue Hens, did not play at all last season. He was a redshirt, so he retains that extra year of eligibility. But I just wanted to highlight him here as kind of the next left tackle of the future for this team. He's really the guy that they have pinned their hopes to. I'm no expert on offensive line play. I you know, haven't been watching every single snap of his in his high school career. I don't know physically. You know, He is a specimen. He's a beast. Technically, I don't know where he has to improve or if he has to improve, but I would just point to him as a guy that you'll probably see on the offensive line for Delaware. At least they hope that you'll see him there for the next two, three, four seasons. And the part about offensive linemen especially is – once you play them a bunch of games, they automatically get better. Offensive line is a team, uh, a unit that needs to stick the same guys out there multiple times to get used to each other, get used to working with each other, and get used to playing with each other. He has decent shoes to fill. Trump wasn't any uh, superstar, but he was just a solid player on the line. Right. I think – I agree. I think he's going to do well. I think the whole offense as a whole is going to be better, especially with Kanai Kane being that main workhorse back that can run through even the smaller holes that running backs get because he could blow through anyone that he runs through. I agree. I think he's going to be a good player on the line. I think they're going to need him. My last guy is Pat Kehoe, the junior quarterback who has played just a handful of snaps for the Blue Hens in his career and has never attempted a pass. But I will give uh, props to Kevin Treslini of the News Journal. He's been on him all summer saying in every tweet and every article – it's J.P. Caruso, it's Darius Wade, but don't count out Pat Kehoe. Pat Kehoe is the dark horse. The coaches love what Pat Kehoe has done. And just a few days ago, he started taking first-team reps because J.P. Caruso was struggling a bit with some shoulder pain. He had off-season shoulder surgery to re- fix an injury from the previous season. And Kehoe has passed Darius Wade now as the number two guy. And it's still an open competition to say who is number one on this team. And I think it's time to start looking at Pat Kehoe as perhaps an option there. He's six foot four, two hundred plus pounds, two hundred forty pounds. A strong physical guy. He's made many improvements over the course of the off season. They really like what he's been able to do this spring, or excuse me, this fall in camp and dating back to the spring where he was running the second team before Darius Wade came over here to the Blue Hens. Has a chance to to become the first team starter on this or the the first quarterback on this team. He's past Darius Wade, which I think says a lot because, you know, we have this novelty bias. We had it last year. We had it this spring with J.P. Caruso coming in and then Darius Wade where it's like, well, they've been terrible at quarterback. This new guy is going to come in and be at least a little bit better. They have to give him a chance because he can't be any worse than the previous guy, whether it was J.P. Caruso coming in last year and we talked about Joe Walker not 
having anybody worse than him. We're now with how Caruso played last year and Joe Walker played last year. Well, Darius Wade has to be a little bit better. They don't feel that way. They don't feel like Darius Wade has picked up the offense quick enough to be given an opportunity in week one. Pat Kehoe's been here for a couple of years. He's run the offense. He's been through things. He's made physical improvements. He's got a chance. I'm not saying he will, but he has a chance to unseat J.P. Caruso and get snaps in week one. I'll be uh, blunt right here and say that if J.P. Caruso happens to go downhill and doesn't perform at the level that we expect him to do, they should not look at Joe Walker. We've said it before. Joe Walker's had two years to do it. They shouldn't even give him the time of day. I don't think they would. Yeah, I don't think they would, which leaves him standing there. And he needs to be ready. Caruso has had bad games. I don't think anyone can shy away from saying he wasn't as good as we expected him to be. Right. He wasn't bad. He was serviceable like for the time being. But like what happened week 11 against Villanova. Right. Where, was, where are you Towson, at when we need a win? Even Towson was a slow football game that he played. Mm-hmm. You, you have a good shot of seeing reps, especially with Caruso if he has his, a few bad games here. I wouldn't be shocked if we see him start a game. Unless Caruso plays well, I wouldn't be shocked if later in the season he gets his start. He gets his J.P. Caruso-type start halfway through the game, comes in in the second half, even comes in through in the first, and he'll get his start. He'll get his time. And Tressolini's put it, I think he can. I think the team likes him enough to give him that opportunity and see if he can make it work. Yeah, I like the Pat Kehoe pick a lot. Um, I actually had class with Pat, and he— that size description fits. He's just a huge, big dude and talking like football with him. He's a very intelligent um, player as well as understanding the playbook. And even coach Rocco said, he's the most consistent one out there right now. JP Caruso is just playing inconsistent while battling an injury and Darius Wade just being slow to pick up the playbook. I think Keo can actually suit up and be our starter for the blue hens. And I think he'll do a great job. And this is a surprise to me. I came into this year thinking Caruso versus Wade, most likely Wade passing Caruso, because like I said, well, I don't know how much better Caruso is going to get. And this guy, Wade, played at Boston College. He should be at least as good, if not better. And my dark horse, thinking going back to last spring, was maybe Nolan Henderson, the guy who's a red shirt last year, ran the scout team, multiple time state champ at Smyrna. You know, you love him. He needs to get bigger. That's the knock. Maybe he got bigger through that first season. They loved what he did with the scout team. Doesn't seem like it's Nolan Henderson's time yet. It's Pat Kehoe's time, perhaps, and he's really been able to step up and put himself into that conversation with Caruso and kind of putting Darius Wade aside, at least for now, which I find very interesting because, again, every time I heard that up until a couple weeks ago where I just couldn't ignore it anymore, it was, all right, like maybe they're just trying to be nice to Pat Kehoe. Like, they throw him in this conversation, but, you know, it's Caruso or Wade. But you hear it more and more and more, and you start to get more details on how much better he's performed over the past couple of weeks, and you start to get more details on how Darius Wade has struggled and how Caruso hasn't been able to stay out on the field, and it becomes more of a reality that Pacquiao should really be considered for Week 1. And like you said, Jake, if not Week 1, there could come a point in the season where they turn to him as another option. Because as we've discussed before, this team, and we've gone position through position with some of our breakout candidates, this team has talent in a lot of different places. They just need decent, consistent quarterback play. They can't be the 10th team in passing offense, but they don't have to be first. They can be 6th or 7th in the CAA because they have a great running game and their defense is one of the best, if not the best, in the conference. Yeah, and this is a Blue Hen team that is has been ranked top 15 for the yep. first time since... 
2012, 2013 was the last time they were ranked in the top 15. Their expectations are high, and I think we've set high expectations for them, especially because last year didn't end the way we thought it was going to end with those key losses down the stretch. This is going to be a big test for the Blue Hens, and I think they're ready. I think, like I said before, and I'll say it again, I think they're a bit more solidified. I think everyone kind of knows their position, knows their role. There's not going to be much more shifting around in the backfield. We don't, we're not going to see four different running backs for the first four plays of the game and not know who's going to take the, the bulk of the rest of the way. We know that Jamie Jarman and probably Joe Walker are going to be the wide-out threats. That's good for this team. I think they're going to settle in. They're going to get more used to it, and we're going to see the breakout stars that we talked about get their opportunities to shine. Is anybody else... Anything else for the calls? Any other players, position groups, storylines through the first couple of weeks of training camp as we reset here that you know you wanted to bring to our audience's attention before we go? I think we hit it pretty well. I think we hit who we needed to hit. We talked about a few extra players here and there. I thought we got a good uh, map out of the Blue Hen team as they get ready for the season. Yeah, I agree with Jake. I think as we see with the competition going on through the camps and everything like that, I think we've talked about a lot of the players that are starting to become prominent and just starting to make a name for themselves. All right. Well, as we said off the top, we'll be back regularly with Blue Hen Sports Cages on Thursdays later this month. Uh, But expect this podcast, the Delaware Football Roundup, to be ramping its way up uh, until we're weekly on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings throughout the football season, recapping and analyzing each and every Delaware football game Stay tuned on Twitter at WVUD Sports and on Facebook at WVUD Sports for all of our updates on game broadcast, podcast, radio shows, videos, and everything that WVUD Sports is up to. I know I'm very excited to um, feel like finally have some content out there, uh, but glad we were able to still get a little bit of a kickstart on the season because when we come back to school, we're right to it on that first Thursday, the 30th. That's a little late. There's a lot of stuff going on with this Delaware football team that we want to make sure we're able to cover and able to get out there. So I'm pumped to be able to put out this first podcast, and we're not going anywhere now. This is the start of a lot of content being pumped out throughout the fall season as we cover Delaware football and a few of the other interesting storylines in Delaware athletics. Uh, So to Nick on the phone, thank you very much for calling in, and Jake, thanks for hopping in the studio. I really enjoyed it. Season's getting ready. We're all ready here, too. We're getting ready. The first game is not this Thursday, but next Thursday against Rhode Island, right? One more Thursday after that. Three Thursdays. Three Thursdays away against Rhode Island. We will have everything that you need to get ready for the Blue Hen season on WBUT. Nick? Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you very much, Nick. We'll talk to you all soon. We'll be right back.